Good morning. Good morning. If you haven't met, my name is Alan Nandap, and I serve as a pastoral assistant for Redeemer Church of Dubai. It's good to see everyone here. Uh, maybe many of you, this is your second time coming here. Maybe you came from our Christmas service last week. Welcome. We're glad that you're here. Pray with me as we begin. Father, may you be glorified and worshipped today. Help me to preach your word faithfully. I pray for the Spirit to work in our hearts and cause us to marvel at your Son, Jesus. I pray that those who don't know you yet will know you through Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. If you have a six-year-old child, you would relate with me that they ask a gazillion questions a day. This is certainly true for my son Abraham. Maybe just double that number. Sometimes you would ask funny questions. Can God defeat King Kong? Can he run faster than Sonic? Yesterday he asked me, why do we say Merry Christmas when we are not marrying anyone on Christmas? But then he would ask some really good questions like, how can God be one when there's three, Father, Son, and Spirit? How can God forgive sins? How can he wipe away our Years. But this next one baffled me more than others. He asked, if God created everything, why did he create the virus? A lot of people are getting sick. I can't even go to the playground, especially when the restrictions are much stricter. Church, it's been two years now since the pandemic started and many of us, members and non-members, struggled and suffered in various ways. Many of us have journeyed in the route of despair. Many have lost joy. Many have lost hope. And the question is, in the presence of sin and suffering, how can we live joyfully in light of eternity? Since this is the last day of the year, it seemed good for us to reflect back what happened in the previous year and then look forward to the next year. But with COVID cases rising, it feels like we are back to square one, right? We are back with anxiety, with, with stress and sadness. Plans are disrupted. And a lot of us are getting sick. So is there anything, anything at all that we can look forward to next year? But as we look at our text, I want to show you that despite the presence of sin and sufferings, we can live joyfully because in Christ, God has secured our eternity. And really, 
That's what we're going to see in this passage. We'll see how God secured our eternity in Christ. And because of that, we can live a life that is full of joy and full of hope in the future despite the presence of sin and suffering. I want us to look beyond our present circumstances and look back uh, beyond our past. I want us to look back from the eternity past, and I want us to look forward, not just to the next year, but to the future eternity. And we're going to see three promises here in our text that will help us live in this life of this eternal truth. We'll see that God has secured our past. We'll also see that God secured our present. And we'll also see that God secured our future. Let's look at the first promise. Let's look at verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Romans 8.28 is one of the most popular verses out there, right? I'm sure many of us have quoted this several times. I did. Maybe you have this hanging on your wall or printed on your coffee mugs or even shared on Instagram. But I want you to notice the first word in this verse. We see the conjunction word end. So what does that mean? Well, that means this is a continuation of what Paul has already been talking about. We cannot just cherry pick this verse out of nowhere. As Dr. C would always say, context is king. We need to look at the former verses before it and even the verses after it. And even the whole book. Well, right now we are in the middle of the book of Romans. So let me just give you a flyby, uh, basically just a helicopter view of Romans. Uh, what is happening in the first eight chapters that leads us to our text today. In chapters 1 to 4, Paul, the author of the book of Romans, shows how the gospel reveals God's righteousness. Both Jews and Gentiles are sinners and deserve condemnation. All of humanity, whether you are a Jew, an American, African, European, Indian, Filipino, we are all sinners. We are all in desperate need for the gospel, for our salvation. Then chapters 5 to 6 shows that despite our sin, despite our rebellion against God, we can have peace with him through Jesus Christ. In chapter 7, then, Paul talks about a Christian sanctification, our lifelong war against sin and our pursuit for holiness. And now we are in the chapter 8. It begins with the guarantee that if we are in Christ, there is no more condemnation. Yes, we are sinners, but if you are in Christ, you have forgiveness. Jesus has paid the penalty for our sins. And since we are now in Christ, 
we can now put to death the deeds of the body so we can live through His Spirit. Not only that, but we now have received a new status. We are now adopted as sons of God. We are now heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ. But even after all of this, Paul knows that life is still hard, even if you're a Christian. We experience life with sufferings and temptations. But Paul also knows that the sufferings of this present world cannot be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Our creation, the creation is fallen. Our world is fallen. The creation groans for redemption. And so do we. What's amazing here is we don't face suffering alone. We face suffering with God. God is with us. Not only that God is with us, God is in us. Look at verse 26. It says that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses through prayer. Have you been in a situation when you are just overburdened with trials and you just want to sit in the corner of your room because you just don't know what to do? You wanted to pray, but you can't pray. You don't know what to pray. But the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, comforts us. Not only He prays with us, He also prays for us with groanings too deep for words. And what's more amazing here is the Spirit's prayer before God are acceptable to Him because the Spirit's will is perfectly aligned with the will of God. You can see that in verse 27. So we see that Verse 28 is heavily connected from the previous verses. Let's read verse 28 again. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Who's we? Christians, those who love God, those who are specifically called according to His purpose, those who have been justified according to verse 30, those who make war against sin and pursue Jesus every single day. For Christians, all things work together for good. What good? Does that mean I'm going to get a Ferrari? Well, that'd be nice. Does that mean I'm, we're all going to prosper or promote it in our jobs? Does that mean life is going to be easy for Christians? Well, no. We've already established that Christians will suffer. In fact, Christians are called to suffer. But for a Christian, all things will work together for good. Notice three words here. All things together. It's not just talking about a particular struggle or a particular trial. No, God causes all things together in our life for good. Some will say when they didn't get something, oh, I didn't get the job, that's okay. 
God has better plans. And then we quote unquote Romans 8 28. And what we normally mean by that is God would surely bless me with a better job. Sure, God can give us a better paying job, but that's not what this verse means. The problem is we are settling for a lot less. We settle for shallow and temporal things that will perish. A better job, a nicer house, a nicer car. Well, this verse means way bigger than that. All of the things that are happening in our life from the day we were born, God is causing all of them to work together for our good, not only for our personal good, but even beyond ourselves. God is causing all together for the good of his people. But what good? Glory, eternal security in Christ. God is working in all of the things in our lives, every little pieces to paint the most beautiful painting the world could ever imagine for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Do you love God? Probably many of us answered, oh yeah, of course, definitely. But what does it mean to love God? Is it because of our obedience? Maybe some would say, well, I go to church every Friday. I don't spend a lot of hours in Netflix. Well, I read the Bible. Well, don't get me wrong. All of those things are good, and they can be good evidences that you actually love God. But anyone can do those things without love. Anyone can do those things just because they are scared. They feel that it's their responsibility. Mere obedience doesn't always equate to loving God. Do you desire God? Do we delight in God? Are we overwhelmed by His love? Do we really love Him for who He is or do we just love Him because He provides whatever we need? Church, loving God is desiring Him, delighting in Him, and treasuring Him above all things. And we also know that we can only love God because God loved us first. So even our love for God is a gift. Even faith is a gift. So for Christians, for those who genuinely love God, for those who desire Him, delight in Him above everything else, nothing in our life is insignificant. God is, our, is at work for our good. But why is Paul so confident about this? Because of verse 29. Because this promise is rooted from eternity. Notice I said from eternity. When we think of eternity, we just think about the future. 
But actually, eternity stretches back from before time began. Before God created everything, before God created even time. God has secured our past from eternity past. We'll see in verse 29, God foreknew us and God predestined us. Verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Listen to this. Foreknowing doesn't mean that God sneaked into the future, opened the curtain, and looked at, oh, who's going to believe and who's not going to believe? If that is your God, you have a weak God, a God that is not sovereign, a God that is not in charge. And if, if he's not in charge, he's not God. Amos chapter 3 verse 2 helps us to understand what this word no means. You don't need to turn there. I will read it for us. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Is God saying that God doesn't know everyone except Israel? Of course not. He knows everyone. In our Christmas Eve service, Pastor Dave preached from Matthew 1, and we saw in verse 25, it says, Joseph knew her not, Mary, until she had given birth to a son. Also, King David, when he said in Psalm 139, you have searched me and known me. So this knowing is a special knowing. There is relationship. There is intimacy. So foreknowing means God has chosen from eternity past a certain people, not because of anything they have done or will ever do, but because of his sovereign and wise redemptive plan. And those whom God foreknew, he predestined. In other words, those whom God chose, he preordained to be like his son, Jesus. We are predestined to be like Jesus in every way so that he gets the glory. In Jewish cultures, being a firstborn son means you have a privileged status. So Jesus being the firstborn means he who is fully God has preeminence as the perfect man, the big brother among the children of God. Just think of this. We are brothers of Jesus. If we are brothers of Jesus, that means God is our Father. Verse 15 of Romans 8 says, We can cry out to God as Abba, Father. We can access God of the universe as little children. This blows my mind. The God who created and sustained everything is our Father. Some of us may have had bad experiences with our dads. And I know that can really be painful. But our God is different. Our God is the perfect dad. Even the best dads in this world are just a small reflection 
of God's fatherly love. Dr. Ligon Duncan at my first GTC class, some of you may have been correcting me now. Now it's GTS. Well, before it was called GTC, um, he said something that I will never forget. He asked the question, do you know why God won't stop loving you? Because he never started. Well, what he means by that is God sets his love on us before the foundation of the world. That's from Ephesians 1. So God chose us not because of anything we did or will ever do, but because God loves us from eternity past, from before time was created. He knew that we will mess up. He knew that we will fail him. He, but even our first sin, even before our first word, God in his goodness has determined in himself that we, we will be part of his family. Before a single atom is created, before the first millisecond existed, God sets his love on us. God secured our past by foreknowing us and predestining us to be like his son. And because of that, we can live in hope and with joy. But what about the present? What about the present? That brings us to our second promise. God secured our present. He didn't stop from eternity past. He secured us today, right here, right now. Let's look at verse, the first part of verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. So in the past, he foreknew us, he predestined us. Now, in the present, God called us, God justified us. But what is this calling? Sometimes when we are talking with Christians, we ask them, what is your calling? Are you called to be a pastor? Are you called to plant a church? Are you called to be a deacon? Or are you called to um, teach the Redeemer kids, but this text does not mean any of those. This calling is what theologians call effectual calling. Many of us remember the moment when God called us, when suddenly the gospel is clear. Suddenly we see our sins and we see how holy God is. Before we thought we are a good person. Before, we thought we can earn our way to God just by doing good things and being nice. But then we realize how sinful we are and that nothing and no one can save us from our sins except Jesus. Suddenly, it weighed on our heart that we are sinners. Suddenly, it weighed on our heart that God sent His Son, Jesus, to live a perfect life that we can never live, and that He died the death we can never die, and that He rose from the grave, defeating death and sin so that we can have eternal life. 
That's the time when the Spirit transformed our heart to trust Jesus and Him alone for our salvation. We respond in faith by trusting Him. That is God's effectual calling. And right at that moment, we were justified. We are declared right with God. We now have peace with God. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 to 24 tells us that we are all sinners. For all, over all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by grace as a gift. We didn't do anything. It's a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Because we are all sinners, we deserve condemnation. We deserve death. There remains a penalty for our sin. But because of Jesus' finished work on the cross, all of the demands of the law are fulfilled on our behalf. Romans 8.1 reads, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God has done what the law could not do by sending His Son on our behalf. One of my favorite things we do in our church is baptism. And just a couple of weeks ago on our Rack Road Trip, we have had the privilege to witness these baptisms. I just love baptisms. I love to be reminded that God is still at work, that God continues to call people to himself and justify them through his son. I love to hear stories of how God called these people so that they can trust Him. It makes my heart leap for joy, not to mention I was texting Pastor Dave by that time. I was crying the whole time. It's so beautiful. But many of us are not living this present life in light of eternity. I remember one morning, my daughter sneaked in into our bedroom, and she just rushed into her mother's dresser, and she opened a small box, a jewelry box. Don't get excited. These are not the thick gold bracelets. It's just a small one. But then he opened the box, and then he saw, wow, gold. And you know what she did? She threw it on the floor. And just played with the box. This is awesome. I love this box. I'm so happy with this. And the gold is just lying on the floor. She didn't care about the gold. She played with the box. She was overjoyed by the box. And I feel sometimes this is true for many professing Christians. Some of us, are playing with temporal things. Some of us are consumed by temporal things. We let our guards down. We let ourselves be so consumed by the circumstances of this life that it robs us of our joy and our hope. We grumble, don't we? We live a life like there's no more eternal life to come. Brothers, let not this be true to us. And for some, they exchange the hope of glory for a bowl of soup. 
They exchange the truth of God's word for a lie. They choose sin over God. But maybe, friends, maybe today is the day that God calls you to himself. Maybe as you were listening to this gospel, your heart is cut wide open. Maybe the thought that you are a sinner now burdens you and you want to turn away from your sins. I plead with you, live your life of sin. Trust Jesus to save you and you will receive eternal life. You will be justified. You will be made right with God. But what about those who know they are Christians, but along the way they had setbacks? Are they still Christian? Did they lose something? If God foreknew you, predestined you, called you, justified you, and glorified you, do you think you can do anything to undo what God has done in your life? Do you think you have the power over God to to lose what he has given you? That is to say, if you're a genuine Christian, your eternity is secured. If a genuine believer can lose his salvation, then Christ died in vain. Nothing and no one can take that away. And maybe today God is calling you back to him. Turn to him. Christians, we can live this present life with hope and joy because we know that God has secured our present. This is why Christians wage war against sin because they know that the hope of eternity is way, way better than whatever this present life has to offer. This is why many of our youths are turning to Christ because they see that Jesus The hope of glory is better than what this world tells them. They choose to listen to God's word over the influence of their peers. This is why many of our ministry volunteers, even after a week of busy schedule, still wake up early in the morning to serve tirelessly because their eyes are fixed on Christ. This is why GTS students labor night and day in their studies because as they study, they are taught and reminded of their eternal security in Christ. And they are reminded that, the, that people needs to hear this. The gospel is urgent. This is also why many of our members, even after losing loved ones back home, can still walk in this life with hope because their eyes are fixed on Jesus, who is our only hope in life and death. This is why many of our members endure months of sickness because they know that their hope is not in this finite, weak body, but a redeemed and glorified body. Christians, God secured us. God secured our present by calling us and justifying us. Therefore, we can live a joyful and hopeful life in light of eternity. And when God starts something, he's going to make sure 
he finishes it. And that brings us to our third promise. God secured our future, verse 30. How? Look at the last part of verse 30. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Notice that after justification, Paul skipped sanctification, which is just a word for our progressive holiness or our continued walk to be more like Christ. Paul already assumed sanctification because glorification is the completion of sanctification. Paul used the word glorified even when he's talking about the future. Did you notice that? It hasn't happened yet fully, but he used glorified. Why is that? Because for Christians, the future is certain. Paul is certain that our being made into the likeness of Christ will reach its perfection. From the foundation of the world, God has preordained the destination of Christians. Glory awaits. It's a done deal. The ultimate end goal is our glorification in Christ. But what would glorification look like? Philippians 3 says he will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. This is why Jesus' incarnation and the resurrection are both essential. We always talk about his death that we sometimes, sometimes lose sight of of the necessity of his incarnation that God became man. And his resurrection, we forget that after his death, he actually rose from the grave on the third day so that we can be raised us, so that he can raise us up in the last day. One of our church fathers, fourth century theologian Gregory of Nazianzus, wrote, For that we for that which he has not assumed, he has not healed. But that which he is united to his Godhead is also saved. What he's saying there is Jesus, being fully God, added to himself human nature so he could redeem it, both body and soul, and bring it to glory. To do what Adam failed to do, to be the perfect man so that the rest of humanity can follow if he has been raised. We will be raised so that we can have fellowship in the triune God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Church, that's where we're going. But have you ever asked, if I have been born again, why do I still sin? Because we are still in this physical flesh. Our hearts have been transformed but we remain this finite flesh. Romans 8 verse 23 says, we groan inwardly for the redemption of our bodies. And that is our hope, that on the last day, our bodies will be redeemed. Our lifelong battle with sin and suffering and sickness will finally And we will never have to sin again. There will be no temptation to sin because by then, our only desire is for Christ. Our delight is Christ. We'll be able to enjoy Him in full measure, not bound by any limitation. This is amazing. 
church, we do not fear death because glory awaits. And when that day comes, not only we can love Jesus from our perfected, finite capacity, but we will love Jesus in the same way that the Father has loved him. And we can love the Father the same way as Jesus is loving him. This is what it means to be glorified and united in the triune love of God. Eternal love in the fellowship of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. What could be any better thing than this? Verse 31 asks, so what shall we say to these things? Worship, let the salvation of God consumes us and bring us down into our knees in worship before the Father. And if God is for us, who can be against us? No one. No one can be against us. Verse 32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, also with him graciously give us all things? If God foreknown us before the foundation of the world, if God predestined us to be like his son, if God called us to himself, if God justified us so we can have peace with Him, if God glorified us, if God gave us the most precious gift we can ever have in the universe, nothing and no one can stop Him to do what needs to be done to keep us safe and secured in His loving arms until we reach our destination, our salvation and eternal Glory are secured. We don't live in fear. No tribulation. No distress. No persecution. No job loss. No shame. No danger. No death. No sin. Can stop God in bringing to completion what he started from eternity past to eternity future. I love how Romans 8 started with no condemnation and then ends with no separation. Jesus is both the reason why we have no condemnation and no separation. Church, he will bring us home. Let's pray. Father, we, we are just in awe of your salvation. We are struck by the goodness of your kindness toward us. So please, Father, help us to be like your son. Help us to live this life in light of eternity. We pray this in Jesus' name.